Hi guys, welcome to the Katie Halper Show. On this week's episode, we talk to Intercept reporters at Jelani about WikiLeaks. Then, make sure you come out to the Brooklyn Commons on October 19th at 7 p.m. where we'll be recording our first ever Katie Halper Show live taping that'll be on WBI at the same time. Our special guest will be Greg Grandin, the historian and author of several award-winning books, including Kissinger's Shadow. That will be at 7 p.m. at the Brooklyn Commons at 388 Atlantic between Hoyt and Bond, Wednesday, October 19th. Then stick around for a debate watch party that starts at 9. And we're even going to be bringing you a special message from Jill Stein for our audience. Hello and welcome to the Katie Halper Show. I'm Katie Halper and it is October 12th and I'm here in the studio with Reggie Johnson. That's me. That's you. How are you doing, Reggie? Hey, well, well I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm, it's a nice fall type day and uh, well, we're in fundraising mode and well, that's pretty much what the topics, subject topics are today. You mean it's the most wonderful time of the year. With the kids jingle belling and everyone telling you be of good cheer. It's the most wonderful time of the year. I mean, that's every fun. That's it's four times a year at WBI, right? Uh, yeah, it's now become four times a year. Yeah. Now, yeah, I just yeah. want listeners to know that. You guys should be really excited because do you know what we're bringing you today, tonight? What's that? We are bringing you something pretty, 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 pretty good, pretty amazing. An interview with none other than Zed Jelani. Now, you may think that name sounds familiar because you probably have a lot of friends named Zed Jelani, right? But that's not why it's familiar. It's familiar because Zed has been on the show before. Do you remember that? We spoke to him about, yeah, yeah the no-fly yeah. list, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And Zed's a really good reporter, a great reporter at The Intercept. And The Intercept's been in the news a little bit. I don't know if you heard about it, but there's this thing called WikiLeaks. Heard of it? Heard of it. And so not only is Zed Jelani one of the reporters who has been writing about WikiLeaks and the revelations and what they mean and sifting through all of this, because there's a lot of it. There's pages and pages and pages. Pages that, you know, till the cows come home. For pages for days, as the millennials say today. Pages for days. Pages for days. That's that, a that's a thing. That's a thing, right? Reggie, wow. you're so much. I mean, I don't. I was gonna. You look much younger than you are, but you're also right. young at heart. But you look young. You act young. You're woke. Am I right? Oh, I'm very woke. You're so woke. Uh, I'm very woke. That's yeah, that's no doubt on that. I'm no doubt. Woke. No doubt. That's what the Katie Albert show is a woke show. Yes. We're not asleep at the wheel. We're woke at the wheel. Oh, yes. I like that. I like yeah. That's, that's good, right? That's woke sticker. at the wheel. That is t oh bumper sticker. No that's pun intended. Yeah, that's bumper sticker worthy. Wow, we're totally doing that. We're doing doing those. I'm getting on Cafe Press, and I'm going to make woke at the wheel the Katie Halper show. Woke at the wheel. So good, right? Wow. I like that. Wow, Reggie. Woke. At, oh no, sorry. Woke, woke at, at wa 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 wa. I got really excited. It was at the wheel. The wheel. Watwa. Watwa. Sounds like I'm going backwards. Watwa. Watwa. Yeah. What? Um, so we're going to talk to Zed Jelani, but you know what, guys? How about this? You want to show your appreciation for the fact that we're bringing you, not only is this guy a reporter, this guy, Zed Jelani, super smart guy, he is one of, he's 
One of the subjects of one of these leaked emails from Neera Tandon, our dear, dear friend Neera Tandon. Mm. Neera, I know you're listening because you follow my Facebook uh, posts, you follow my Twitter. Neera plays games with my heart. Do you remember that song? Quit playing games with my heart. Quit playing games with my She does that. She follows me. She unfollows me. She tags me in a Twitter post, you know, mentions me, whatever. Then I go back to respond and she's blocked. She's hot when she's cold. She's wrong when she's right. You're in and you're out. I can't remember the Katy Perry thing. Like social media foreplay it is in okay. it's foreplay i mean i'm not gonna i don't kiss and tell okay but well, no, at least foreplay mean, yeah, no no heavy no. heavy online texting has that how you like that heavy texting heavy texting heavy texting you can hear i can uh, hear myself smiling about my joke i just thought it was so funny you can hear the vo you know how you can hear someone smile it's funny um so listen, you guys want to hear someone like Zajelani? You want to hear about like Clinton's future chief of staff? You want to hear what first first uh, hand narrative about how Zajelani is dealing with this? Then support the show because we'll bring you amazing stuff. We also brought you Glenn Greenwald a couple of years uh, years ago, a couple of weeks ago. The man who started the Intercept. So how do they support the show, Reggie? They call five one six six two zero three six zero two. Again, that's five one six six two zero three six zero two, and they say, "I want to donate to the Katie Halper Show." You want to donate to the Katie Halper Show. To the Katie Halper Show. Now, that's right. if you want to get a great gift for donating to the Katie Halper Show, you just say, I want a $50 donation, and in exchange, I want a great book called False Choices, The Faux Feminism of Hillary Rodham Clinton. And that's edited by friend of the show, um, two-time guest, uh, Liza Featherstone. Mm -hmm. And it has contributions from Megan Erickson Kilpatrick, uh, future, already friend of the show, future guest of the show, Dia Benjamin Maybe from Code Pink, Laura Flanders, amazing lady, amazing writer, very oh, yeah. charming, great accent. Let's say you're feeling really generous. You want to give $150. Why would you do that? Because you love us. You love Katie Halbert Show. You love WBAI. Make sure you mention the Katie Halbert Show. Mm -hmm. Then you say, I want to give $150 and ask for the, what do we call it? The Hillary Clinton critique package. Just say you want the package. That gives you false choices, the book. And in addition to that, it also gives you video and audio of three different talks. A left forum debate that we had on, on Hillary with Medea Benjamin, mm. Liza Featherstone, Rania Kalik, friend of the show. A great show that we had with D Doug Henwood. Doug Henwood, a host in his own right of a, of a WBI show, very popular man. Behind the news. Behind the news. And then a show that we did, which was a debate between Clintonian feminists and Bernie feminists. So guys, I know 150 is like an investment, but you gotta believe in this show. You gotta believe in yourself. You gotta believe in the, the power of love. You gotta give a little, laugh a little. gotta donate a little that's the story of that's the glory of the katie alper show that's the story that's the glory of love next week we're
we're doing something very exciting, guys. You know how we have our live shows? I've heard of them. You've heard of them. You're, you've been you, You're there. Now, the thing that's cool about this one is that we usually do them at, like, um, not the day of our radio show because we haven't worked out the techno the technology, as Ali G would like to call it, the technology of, of having it broadcast on WBI while we're there in the cafe downstairs at the Brooklyn Commons Cafe. Now we've we've gotten to that level, right? It's been years, and we've been able to do it. So what we're doing is next Wednesday, that's Wednesday, October 19th, I'm having a fun, juicy panel on the elections. It's going to be our last live show before the elections. So a lot is going to be decided. We're going to figure out, we're going to decide who's the president, basically, at the next show. Right, Reggie? Uh, yeah. The Katie Albert show fun. is a game changer of a show. Yeah, we change hearts and minds. Call that number. five one. call the number. Right, 516-620-3602. Say uh -huh. you want to become a, a WBAI buddy. What they get already is a membership card that will entitle them to discounts to restaurants, galleries, and museums. A tote bag. A tote bag. And um, But in addition to that, if they become a BAI buddy right now during the duration of this program, they'll also get free membership of Whoa. this next uh, with this upcoming uh, program next week. Yeah, so you get to go to this for free. It'll right. be great. Um, you can give as little as... $10. $10. Mm -hmm. Maybe even 5 Can they get 5 eh, $10. Okay, 10 $10. All right, fine. If you really can't do it for 10 email me. $10 is really... All right, come it's on. not what do that you much. $10 a month, fine. Really? $10 a month. $10 but don't they get other things besides... Whatever you do, though, you have to put in your favorite show or adopt your yeah, show yeah, with Katie yeah, Halper. Yeah, Honestly, if you, give, if you donate to WBI and you don't say, yes, I want to adopt my favorite show, you're dead to me. <laughs> you're alive to WBI, but to me, you're no one. Call up, make that call, go to, go to give to WBI.org. Also, listen to our great interview that we did with Tony Smith about um, Colin Kaepernick, especially because uh, Bruce Bader Ginsburg uh, said some not-so-fortunate things about uh, Colin Kaepernick, uh, called him dumb, disrespectful, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, how's the call going through, Reginald? Not yet. Not oh. yet. I'm still waiting. Oh, okay. But is our phone working? Oh, it is. So it he is. just wasn't there? Not yet. Did he say anything? You're just you're very confident he's straight, gonna be there. No, straight no, went straight. Oh, Zed. Yeah, yeah. Zed. I'm gonna I'm gonna tweet at him right now. Okay. Went straight to voicemail? Okay, yes. Alright, hey Zed. Zed. It went straight to voicemail. You know, Zed is probably as we talk to you, dear listeners, Zed is probably fleeing the country on a plane because now we know perhaps this is why, because Neera Tandon is on his tail. Oh, okay. Oh. Is he there on the phone? Not yet. Oh, but it's ringing. It is. All right, guys, I'm getting nervous. Intercept people. Have you, when's the last time you saw Zed? Zed, Zed, are you there? Yes. Oh, Zed. Zed, how are you? I'm great. Well, I was very nervous, I'm not going to lie, when you didn't pick up. I thought maybe you were fleeing, um... The justice system because of I your... was thinking about taking a, a a winter vacation in Moscow. There you go. Um, there you go. You see, I was picking up what you were putting down. I sensed it. I sensed it. Well, because Zed is a is a and Zed again, great journalist at um, the Intercept, which is in some hot water in a good way over their publications of WikiLeaks. Um, and also, we're going to talk soon about uh, being the subject of your own WikiLeak, uh, being included in a, in, a, in a very special email from Neera Tandon. But can you just set the scene for us a little bit about what, what 
what happened, how you got your hands on WikiLeaks, what's been going on, um, you know, what the revelations are. Give us like a kind of inside view of how you found out what you were finding out. Is that a vague enough question? I like it, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, with respect to, I mean, the, the WikiLeaks, I mean, WikiLeaks has a very sort of blunt way of delivering, I would say, its leaks relative to a lot of other sites. I mean, sometimes they do work with news outlets, like uh, for a lot of their embassy work and their cable leaks. I think they did work with news outlets, but with this leak, it was basically sort of a blanket dump. So, I mean, you'll see everything in there from things I think are quite, um, you know, important with respect to the public interest and policy and how, you know, laws are made to, you know, John Podesta's, you know, recipes for various dishes he, he likes to make. Mm. Um, yeah, and I mean, I, I mean, a lot of the challenge, I think, honestly, is when you see a big dump of information like this, you want to be able to figure out what is important to the public interest and what isn't, and also be able to dissect what they're talking about. Because a lot of times it can be difficult to see, you know, an email chain, they're using, you know, names of various political figures or acronyms or, you know, inside lingo, things like that. So I think a lot of it's just, you ha- you got to know what to look for. Because I've seen a lot of people who very quickly looked at these leaks and said, oh, there's nothing there. Right. And, you know, it's very easy to just say that, but these are thousands of emails discussing many, many different topics during many different time periods. And you really have to understand the context under which they're being set, who the actors are they are talking to each other. If you don't know their names, sometimes these people don't identify themselves. Like, some of them are lobbyists, right? Like, for example, Tom Daschle's firm sent an email or something to the campaign basically saying, hey, come with us on a free trip to Taiwan because they're lobbying for Taiwan, right? Mm. If you don't know that Daschle does that for a living, you might just think it was just like a, I don't know, a friendly vacation or something, right? right? Like he's just um, really into time. So a lot of it is you have to you have to bring the knowledge you have to, to bear for the to understand the context. Got it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I was reading something and and someone said something about WJC and I was like, hmm, WJC, hmm. And then I was like, oh, William Jefferson Clinton. Got it. Um, so I just want you to know if you're hiring at the Intercept, you have someone named Katie Halper who's capable of breaking down WJC and a Clinton email mm-hmm. and realizing it's William Jefferson Clinton. So just putting it out there. Pretty impressive. No, yeah, no, that's important. That's an important acronym in these emails, no doubt. Exactly. Yeah, that was very sweet. Zed was actually, like trying to make me feel good about that. You're like, no doubt that is important. It is important. Now, um, mm-hmm. what? so how do you work, though, at The Intercept? Like, what happened? Can you explain the process? Because we're, we're big fans of The Intercept. And, of course, we've had you on. We've had Lee Fong on. We've had... Um, Glenn Greenwald on. We've had contributor uh, uh, Rania Kalik on. So we'd like. I was just wondering wh- what happened. Like, do you divvy it up by by? Do you even divide it up? What's the process? The sausage making. Yeah, I mean, I I mean, I think a lot of it is um, when the leaks go up. Like these leaks in particular are being sort of released in waves. So like they have different dumps. Like this has every certain number of emails, so on and so forth. So. I think we just, um, you know, we have a few people who do a regular politics beat. Uh, you know, Lee Fong is one of them. Uh, Naomi Lachance, who's working with us in the intern, is really great. She's doing a lot of it. Um, and we just sort of, you know, we jump on the emails, and we have certain topics that we want to get to, right? Like, I really wanted to understand certain foreign policy-related topics. We can have a search. I search for those terms. Uh, if that doesn't work, I just spend some time browsing titles. Kind of look and try to figure out what I can jump into. After you look at some of these for a while, you kind of understand their format. For example, they have a lot of like clips emails, which are just uh, news clips about their campaign from other, you know, CNN, Reuters, whatever. So I learned to just kind of ignore those because they won't have something in them. 
Uh, you can search for particular emails. So, you know, every new batch, you might want to search for some major donors who are talking. Mm. You might want to search for some presidents of think tanks, right, who are close to the Clinton campaign. Um, but just try to find a few things to start with, and then you have to read through a lot of chains and sort of get the context and the history and why, they, why they're saying these things. And then you really understand whether there's something newsworthy going on there. Right. So what was there like an aha moment that you had? What was the most exciting thing? Like if, if we were making the movie, like I saw the Snowden movie, which I really liked. So let's say we were making the WikiLeaks mm. movie and, and it was about, you know, multiple characters, but you're, you're one of the characters and it's Zed. So it's called Jelani, right? Um, what would we see? Mm. Like what's the, what's the, did you ever have an aha moment when you're like, oh, I can't find this person. I keep putting in this name. Oh, wait, I spelled it with a K instead of a C. Voila. Anything like that? Well, you know, I wish it was as exciting as, as what happened with Edward Snowden, but, you know, none of us grabbed briefcases and, you know, fled to Hong Kong or anything um, with this particular leak. Uh, but I do think a lot of it's just like, hey, there's names. Like, so, for example, Naomi and I just wrote a story today um, relating to some of the Walmart stuff with Clinton, um, not only her paid speeches, but, you know, some of the other stuff. And it's just a matter of, of knowing, of knowing, you know, what's going on and, Actually, I would say the closest thing was um, on Friday, we had discovered our long-sought goal was to get um, the paid speech transcripts for Clinton's speeches that she gave after she left the State Department. Uh, most of them were private, and she refused to release the transcripts. So on Friday, when WikiLeaks first dropped the dump of these, I think a bunch of us, Naomi, my, myself, uh, Alex Edmonds, another one of my colleagues, we were just looking through the emails, and I happened to see a title that said paid speech transcripts. And so I clicked on it. And I kind of skimmed it a little bit, and I put it in, you know, shared it with some of my colleagues. And eventually we realized that this is exactly what we were looking for. And not only was it what we were looking for, um, the date that email originated, where they had generated their own sort of clips from, their, from her speeches, was two days after Lee, my colleague, had asked Clinton for them. And she just laughed us off, right? So that basically confirms that they compiled this email because we asked them about these speeches, because they saw it as a liability, and then, you know, there was this hack and this leak and so on and so forth. So it was sort of a, a massive payoff. Almost wow. a year ago, we asked Clinton for these. And then we realized, just all of a sudden, we realized that we finally got what we were looking for. It sort of landed on our desk that way. So you saw, um, you were so the that was kind found, of exciting. You found the paid, what was it called? The paid um, speech transcripts? Uh, paid speech, yeah, paid, I believe it was paid speech transcripts, something like that. But uh, Tony Carr, who's one of our aides, actually was the one who compiled those. Um, I actually used to work with them at Center for American Progress. Oh, yeah. wow. Um, yeah, we'll talk about that. So, uh, it wasn't, you know, it's also, the other great thing is it's not super hard to, um, you know, we, we try to verify everything. We don't want to put anything out there that's fake or anything. But when you know a lot of the people who are involved, it's not too hard to email them or, you know, right. <laughs> say, hey, what's up, you know, with this. But, um, yeah, so I would say that that was a pretty big sort of aha moment for us was, finally getting at the, the speech transcripts that we've been searching for for a year, mm -hmm. um, and primarily due to the fact that the campaign decided to put them all in emails for us, right. um, not knowing that those emails would be hacked and later released to the public. Well, maybe they actually were the whole time just responding to you. It just took a year. They were like, yeah, you know what? Yeah, maybe the whole thing, yeah. you know, it's a... It's an intricate inside job exactly. for um, John Podesta to share his, like, Italian recipes. Yes. And he just, he was just too shy to admit it. Exactly. He's humble. He's too humble. He's very humble, yeah. Very humble. He's got great recipes. So um, what, I mean, let's talk about what the, you wrote uh, today, right? You wrote about um, 
uh, you wrote a piece for The Intercept called Hacked Emails Show Hillary Clinton Repeatedly Praised Walmart in Paid Speeches. So can you tell us what you discovered um, and what the most what, what, what you think kind of the most interesting and, and relevant thing revelations are from WikiLeaks? Yeah, so, the, I mean, there were two things with respect to the Walmart story today. I mean, part of it was her paid speeches. So she had done a number of paid speeches where her time on the board of Walmart came up. Um, she served on the board of Walmart for six years when she was first lady of Arkansas. I believe she was the first woman to ever serve on the board of Walmart, so it was sort of a big step in that in that direction. And she spoke repeatedly at these paid speeches about this sort of Walmart's model, how she feels like it offers products to people in parts of the country who never had access to them before, um, you know, build a sense of community, uh, various other positive things like that. Um, she spoke very fondly of Sam Walton in particular, the man who appointed her to the board. And uh, in addition to that, there was sort of an interesting uh, little anecdote in there in the emails themselves. Um, so back in 2014, Ralph Nader and some other activists like Adolf Reed um, said a letter, an open letter to Clinton asking her to call on Walmart to raise its wages because she had served on the board. She has this ongoing relationship with the Waltons. Alice Walton's a big donor of hers, the Walmart heir. Um, and it's really interesting. She never issued a public response to that letter. But in these emails, you can see that several of her senior aides, like Homa, um, a number of other folks, Cheryl Mills, saw that letter, and Clinton saw the letter, and they actually somewhat were panicking about it, thinking that they had to deliver a response. Um, but they ended up asking Leslie Duck, who was um, their top lobbyist at Walmart up until 2013, you know, they ended up looping him into the email chain, asking him how to respond, and he was basically like, yeah, you know what, you should just marginalize Nader, you know, don't mm -hmm. care about what he says, don't try to single out Walmart, just say that you're for raising the minimum wage in general. Right. I um, mean, they basically took his advice. I mean, she never responded to the letter, she never made any call to Walmart to do anything in particular, and she just basically reiterated that she's for, in general, raising the minimum wage. So it kind of shows you how, like, she served on the board of Walmart, you know, back in, like, 1986-92, I think, quite a long time ago, but she still has such strong ties to this company, right? She's still, you know, her campaign team can, like, basically, you know, ring up one of their top sort of executive VPs. Um, he, I think, believe he had just stepped down the year before the email was sent, and they can get Walmart's position on the issues, and they can continue to uh, run interference for their, their general reputation many, many years after she actually worked for Walmart on their board. So it just shows you how these ties continue to shape her worldview and shape her politics. And I think a lot of that would just not be available to the public unless we saw things like this. Right. Um, and, of course, you know, of course, working at Walmart, big feminists, uh, big feminist star, big people of color star, you know, because they're really – they're great in terms well, of identity politics. Well, that's actually something uh, that she brought up over and over in the speeches. I think more than four or five times she mentioned that she was the first woman to ever serve on Walmart's board. I mean, it was a big point of honor for her. Right. She's like the Margaret I'm Thatcher sure she of Walmart. I mean, I'm sure she legitimately believes that. Like, she really does think like it was a big advancement for women for her to be on that board. Right. Um, but we also know that she never really asked them to increase wages for women. I think... In the Nader letter, they composed some statistics, something saying something like 70% of the hourly workers at Walmart are women, right? And, like, we know their wages are abysmal. It's, like, one of the worst companies in America for that. Um, but she never really did anything on their board to improve the status of those women. And she continued, as we just learned from this story today, to ignore that issue and to refuse to call on Walmart in particular to do anything. I mean, 
it can be pretty difficult to pass a minimum wage law through Congress, but someone of Hillary Clinton's stature could publicly pressure Walmart or at least ask them to improve the status of those people. Right. I mean, I think Hillary Clinton has a lot of public clout as a feminist figure and as a prominent woman to do that. I think they made a great point, but, you know, they just decided not to because they value that relationship with Walmart so much. Right. You know what, Zed? You know what it was? It was that Hillary Clinton didn't want to take... She didn't want to deny people the voice that they needed to express. She didn't want to come in as the great white um, upper class savior, right? She's really into grassroots organizing, and she felt like she would be, um, you know, she wanted to hold the space to allow other people to come forward. This is my woke reading of of Hillary Clinton. Uh, I I do it for Trump also. I'm available for bar and bar mitzvahs. I, I, I imagine that we will see many different explanations like that. Over in the next few years, for for various behavior by Clinton. Yeah, yeah. That actually, maybe I'll do a. That would be a great. Uh, I'm gonna start. I should do a Tumblr, huh? Woke, yeah, exactly. Woke 2016, um, where I just explained. People, I mean, people always made such explanations for Barack Obama. They would say, "Oh, he's playing a longer game." Yeah. You know, chess player, so on and so forth. I imagine we'll see a variation of that for Hillary Clinton for people who just. Can't may accept that maybe the possibility that she just has different politics, right. she has different beliefs. Right. Than no, you know what it is? It's do. that um, because she's a woman, she has to have them. Because no female politicians, like Elizabeth Warren, doesn't exist in reality. She's a hologram. No female politicians can be more progressive to Hillary Clinton because it's just the nature of being a woman that makes you have these positions. It's well, the- yeah, I mean, and that I think that's the other variation is saying that. Um, it's compensation, uh, you know, so on and so forth. And, right. Or, um, or it's easy for a man to come out on this issue. I mean, they say these things. It has yeah. absolutely no basis in reality, but it's a good talking Sure. Point. I mean, no, it's definitely something uh, that you see. Yeah. Um, although I think the explanation that we draw from, like, our story today, that they just have very strong personal relationships with companies that used to give them a lot of money and, you know, that sort of thing, probably is a little bit more compelling. But, um, right. No, what you're describing is something that you do see offered as an explanation. Right. We're definitely going to see that soon. Um, now, can you tell me a little bit about, um, speaking of minimum wage, I mean, I was going to say, in all fairness, Hillary's kind of consistent in that, right? Because as we know, Bernie Sanders came out strongly for the federal minimum wage being $15. And then during mm-hmm. the Democratic Platform Committee meeting, we saw Neera Tandon and, and Hillary's other appointees to that committee and um, Debbie Wasserman Schultz's appointees. We saw them... Uh, basically fighting tooth and nail to to not have it be fifteen dollars or not making it as um, like not being as emphatic that they wanted to be fifteen dollars, just like they weren't emphatic about opposing TPP. People always say, "Well, it's just symbolic. Who cares?" And of course, the question that I ask is then, "Well, why does it matter then? Right? Like, why do you fight tooth right. and nail against progressive legislation?" on an either symbolic or practical level. So you wrote another piece um, at The Intercept called Center for American Progress Advised Clinton Team Against $15 Minimum Wage, leaked email show. And can you tell us about that piece and also your relationship with the woman who's um, involved in that email? Sure. So um, basically, I believe this was in 2015. The Clinton campaign was just starting to orient itself uh, they had just booted up the campaign. They were just trying to orient their policy. They didn't really have a minimum wage policy out yet. And uh, so Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York City, he had decided he was going to get out in front. He was going to put out a progressive agenda. 
part of his agenda was to call on the candidates to adopt the $15 minimum wage. He sent that to Podesta and some of the other Clinton aides. And basically, he's like, hey, guys, I'm going to have this event. I'm going to email everyone telling everyone this is my agenda. What do you think about it? So Podesta, I'm, you know, he used to be head of the Center for American Progress. He looped in Neera Tandon, who's the president of the Center, current president of the Center for American Progress, and was just like, you know, what do you think about all this? You know, what's your opinion? She's head of a major think tank. They have views on this sort of thing. So it's, you know, a natural thing for him to do. And what she said basically was that, um, you know, she, the center is not for $15 an hour. She said that, you know, liberal economists say that it'll cost jobs and that really they're not feeling any political pressure to join any of the stuff that de Blasio is doing. Um, and as we know, the Clinton campaign did not come up for $15 an hour. They came out, ended up coming out for $12 an hour. And that continued through a pretty contentious sort of primary where Clinton at one point said that she would sign $15 an hour if it came to her desk. And I believe she said that in a debate with Sanders. And then when the platform committee debate started, her appointees to that committee eventually did endorse $15 an hour. Um, but it was sort of unclear whether or not that was binding on the campaign or not. Um, and I think what this shows is that internally, many of you know Clinton's allies, like Neera Tandon, don't really seem to believe in the $15 an hour. And it's entirely possible that a lot of the posturing during the primary about this was ultimately just political because it's not really their viewpoint. I mean, they think that this is something that would cost jobs, which is not something that they were, you know, running around saying in public because they felt like there would be a political backlash to that. Um, so I think this provides some really, some really interesting context as to what Clinton would actually propose as president. And, you know, I think that, you know, if there's listeners who are listening in and thinking about this, I do hear people Having concerns about $15 an hour, you know, what would that do to the economy uh, on a federal level? And I think the important thing to remember is that 15 is a number and a bargain, right? Like, the president introduces legislation. That legislation is bargained, debated, compromised. If you're introducing 15, you might end up getting 12, right? But if you're introducing 12, who knows what you're going to end up getting? And I think that's a big part of the calculation that I didn't really see discussed here. Mm. So. I think that, you know, that's also an additional wrinkle that I think the Sanders approach accounted for, but I don't think the approach that Neera Tandon advocated for and that Clinton ended up on uh, really takes that into account. What do you, you mean it doesn't take into account the fact that this is always going to be, you put out the higher number and then you're inevitably going to bargain? Yeah, I don't, I really don't, I really don't see them accounting for that uh, unless they just, don't even imagine that they will see a minimum wage increase get through a Republican-controlled Congress, which might be, at the end of the day, what they're imagining anyway. Right. Right. Um, and can you tell us more about how you know Neera Tandon, your personal relationship with her, and also what she said about um, you in one of these leaks? And who and who found that? How you discovered you were, you were part of a... Yeah, I, honestly, I don't know who discovered it. I feel like Maybe somebody on Twitter discovered it and then shared it with us or something. But basically, um, Nira, who's the current head of the Center for American Progress, was emailing with John Podesta, who's the former head of the Center for American Progress today. He's the chairman in the Clinton campaign. And she was she singled out myself and um, my colleague, Lee Fong, at The Intercept. And I believe she called us freaks. And I'm not really sure what the context of it was why she was angry at us or upset at us. 
Um, but yeah, she didn't seem to be huge fans of us. That uh, was my takeaway from the email. How are you dealing with that? Do you feel like I mean, you, you know, feel like you had a real uh, relationship that you can't? <laughs> I I mean, I wouldn't say that we'd had much of a personal relationship. I you know, we knew obviously we worked with Nira. We had a professional relationship with Nira. I don't think we ever really had any sort of uh, that strong of disagreement other than politics. I believe we do have political disagreements. Um, but I did. I do think it's interesting because she didn't seem to cite in any of the emails complaining about us. She didn't really seem to cite anything in particular that she didn't really like about us. I just think that uh, there's a mentality that she has, and also a comment that she made about our boss, Faz, who was also with the Center for American Progress. It seems like they have a mentality that if you disagree with them politically, or if you're not on Team Clinton, even though you all work together, that somehow you're disloyal, that you're doing something you know aberrant or abnormal, right. um, that you're really not supposed to do that, which... To me, it's a little unusual because I don't think that's what the whole country is about. I think we're supposed to have diversity of opinions and, and viewpoints, and we're supposed to be disagreeing with each other because that's what makes our country better. Right. Um, so to me, that was a little unusual. That's not really the way I address politics. Like, I know people who I used to work with who are for Clinton, and that's just their point of view. That's fine. I don't, I don't really get angry at them or upset at them because they have a different point of view, right? Right. I mean, especially it's supposed to be what liberals think, right? I mean, that's the conservatives are the ones who are supposed to be like in lockstep, right? But liberals are supposed to be the ones who have debates in theory. Um, but maybe not. Well, I mean, I think certainly, I mean, I think, you know, I grew up getting into politics under the Bush administration. And I feel like certainly at that point, I think people who are critical of Bush were very adamant about the value of dissent. And right. it was... Right. Often difficult to dissent under Bush. Um, so, yeah, it doesn't seem like it really is uh, consistent with what we see now. Right. And so just so people know, this is the email. The subject line was Faz advising Bernie. Um, and it's a, it's a reference to your former boss. Faz Shakir. Faz advising Bernie. And it was from John Podesta to Nira Tandon. It said, yes, gave him, gave him a very hard time. I have to say this does not go down easy with me. Wish him well in life. And then Nira wrote, she had written, you know about this? Jesus, makes sense. All these freaks after Hillary are like his spawn. Zed Lee Fong. So she pointed out you, Zed. Jelani and then Lee Fong, who both of you wound up wound up at the intercept. Um, I, I feel like it's sweet that she just called you Zed. She didn't say Zed Jelani, which shows that maybe hmm. she has a real soft spot for you. Um, she just uses your first yeah, name. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? But Nira, by the way, uh, I had to go into an incognito window because she blocked me. But I just, <laughs> as you were talking about her her kind of stance vis-a-vis -vis being a uh, dissent, squashing dissent, her. Twitter, her, her pinned tweet is periodic reminder to political leaders where you stand on this election will stay with you for years to come. So do with that what you will. I think she's definitely someone who will who will probably serve in Hillary Clinton's White House. So well, I definitely don't I definitely think people will be seeing more of her, not less of her over right. the next few years. Do you think all this will be the context of that? You, you know, it's funny because I think Neera Tandon is almost like the Donald Trump of Hillary Clinton's campaign because she goes on these Twitter rants 
uh, seven minutes ago, hi Nira, hi Nira, I'm just reading your Twitter feed, wrote, she tweeted, best part of day has been some lefties attacking me for swearing. Deaf want to do better on that, but weird for them to be judgmental. Hashtag glass houses. And then 29 minutes, oh, these are my favorite responses. I'm sorry so many swayed by Russia's effort to undermine our democracy. While many, while may not respond to every tweet, rest assured, I'm forever Twitter. Forever Twitter, yeah, hashtag. Um, so, and then another thing. Well, that she, long, yeah. I mean, as long as she's not waking up at 3 a.m. to give these it's tweets. True. I mean, then it's she true. hasn't gone full Donald yet. You're right, you're right. Who knows what we'll see tonight. Nero, we're watching you. We got our eyes on you. Um, she also, by the way, uh, said... She thought that um, she had something to say about. Did you see this? That she had something to say about David Brock. Um, I'm gonna. No, look I didn't. Okay. Uh, oh yeah, I did. I, I did actually see that. Yeah. Yeah. She thought he was a plant. Let me see. She also said this though. She said about Peter Dow. Um, I don't know if you saw this. She said that Peter Dow was a little off. Nira, why'd you say that well, about Peter I mean, Dow? It's it, it definitely it's a little bizarre because. I would think most people, if they had to categorize everyone in Team Clinton, that Nira is somewhat similar to the school of David Brock and Peter Dow. Um, but I don't know. There were some moments, for example, I believe David Brock at one point wanted Bernie Sanders to give like a physical exam or something, implying that, you know. Right. Yeah, so I think that that probably even hit Nira as something that was a little bit inappropriate. Right, um, right. But no, there's no doubt that... I mean, I think that the way that um, she establishes her politics online is, is honestly not that different from those individuals. Although she doesn't, she doesn't always sound like, like Peter Dow always sounds like he's literally talking in all caps. And that's partly because he tweets in all caps. She doesn't have that quite as much. Um, and by the way, we're that's talking true. to Zed Jelani. We're talking to Zed Jelani from The Intercept, FYI, just so everyone's on the same page. But there's one other thing. Let's see. Neera Tandon also described herself as a loyal foot soldier. I'm not sure if you saw that, but I just want you to know that. Oh, this was my favorite. This was my favorite run. Ready? My favorite email. Did you see this one from John Favreau? Uh, there, there were definitely some emails about Bernie, I think, from him, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Because we get a nice insight into what straight white men think about um, uh, identity politics and intersectionality because we have a leaked email from WikiLeaks in which John Favreau, who was a speechwriter for Obama, shares his thoughts. And John, if you're listening, I know you are. He has a, his own podcast called Keeping It 1600. Now yes. he's so much woker than we are. Wow. But that, yeah, right? No wow. wonder who's Obama's speechwriter. Wow. Am I right? But there was a really interesting um, exchange in which he gave, gave Hillary's campaign some advice. This kind of surprised me because in this email, he says the following. Her most important job in terms of Hillary Clinton, her most important job right now is to inspire people and generate enthusiasm. And she will not succeed by playing the pragmatist to Bernie's idealist. No young person, no any person who isn't the most committed voter will head out to the polls or knock on doors for someone who tells them that they should have more realistic expectations for what politics can achieve, even though they should. OK, thank you, John Favreau. So John thinks that you should go out and vote um, because you want to vote for having lower expectations. All right, good to know. It's kind of, I mean, it's kind of curious. It's as if he's sort of urging Clinton to have a more Obama-style message, but that she shouldn't change her politics, right? That the problem is the message, not the politics. Right, the framing. Um, yeah, it, it, I mean, it's kind of a, a cynical way to describe, you know, what what he, he wants them to do. He says, actually, that, you know, in 2008, we would purposely bait her into playing the wet blanket so we could turn around and whack her for it. That's, that's triggering language, by the way, whacking her. That's terrible. Okay, the line from the New Hampshire primary speech 
quote, in the unlikely story of America, there's never been anything false about hope, end quote, was a direct retort to Hillary's line about Obama giving everyone false hopes. And it was devastating. So that's him describing how the he and the Obama campaign used that against her. So here's Netanyahu he goes on. Far more effective has been what she's been doing recently, saying that Bernie is a single issue voter and that there are a lot more issues at stake than Wall Street. This idea that class is the only divide and the economic issues are all that matter is a very white male centric view of the world. Parentheses, a Bernie bro view if you will, and parentheses. It also reminds me of the hilarious joke that Brian Butler keeps making every time some a-hole says something horribly racist about Obama or sexist about Hillary or prejudice about immigrants and Muslims. Oh, let's not blame them. They're just economically anxious. Ha ha ha. That's me laughing. Okay. People are, of course, economically anxious, and Bernie is tapping into that very well, but that's only half the equation. They're also being told to blame other groups for all their problems, blacks, gays, immigrants, Muslims, women, political correctness, etc. Fighting that intolerance and divisiveness is just as important as fighting inequality, arguably more so in this election, because Trump has made it the defining issue. And she is way better equipped, better equipped and qualified to make that argument than Bernie is. That's true because she's a woman. That's true because she was America's chief diplomat. That's true because she's fought for these issues her entire life. Okay. So what shocked me about that, Zed, is that I really thought that these people were more cynical and that they got the overlap between economic issues and various forms of bigotry and phobia and how um, increased economic insecurity, or even perceived or not, makes people more... um, susceptible to forms of scapegoating and bigotry, right? But he really seems to see them as separate issues. Were you surprised? Well, I mean, I think that, I mean, it seems like it's sort of a confluence between what they think is a convenient way to frame the campaign, and they're trying to turn one of his big strengths into a weakness, right? Um, Bernie speaks very, very, I think, effectively, not only just to people who agree with him politically, but probably he has a lot of appeal um, across even through conservatives and some conservatives and the way he speaks about the economy and how right. it treats people. And I think basically they're trying to turn that strength into a weakness saying, well, he's so good on this, but he can't talk about these other issues. But reality is, you know, it's not like anyone ever said, my God, Clinton changed my mind about racism by that, you know, can <laughs> right. thing that her 25 year old intern wrote for her. Right. Like right. that's not the case. Wait, Zay, I mean, did, was, you like Blige, right? did you see her talk to Mary J. Blige though? Did you see her talk to Mary J. Blige? Cause I'm, I want to make sure you don't want to, you may want to revoke that statement, recant that statement. Okay, sorry. Well, just no, I mean, I, it's just like, um, you know, I. it's a matter of, um, I, I don't know if you call it gaslighting or what, right? But it may just be a matter of them trying to create an image about Bernie Sanders. And I think that's mostly what Favreau is doing. I don't know if it's necessarily that Favreau really believes that somebody like Sanders who, you know, was a civil rights protester who, as mayor of Burlington, would invite Noam Chomsky to talk about Latin America, who, who appointed the first, you know, female police chief in, you know, Burlington, Vermont, who had stressed a wide variety of issue areas throughout his life. Suddenly, now all he cares about is Wall Street, right? I mean, I don't think right. that anyone who has a serious understanding of Bernie Sanders would believe that, and I don't think many people would feel that Clinton is much stronger on those issues than Sanders is. I mean, I don't think anyone who's intelligent and honest could come away with that conclusion. But I think that if you're thinking about it in purely political terms, you would want to tell people that, oh, he's t- oh, he speaks to you very strongly here, but, you know, why isn't he saying more about these other things? And part of it is just like, you know, I don't know if that this is literally what they were thinking, but part of it is just a racial and sort of gender connotation, right? That because he's an old white Jewish guy from, you know, Brooklyn, 
that he can't speak to you if you're black or he can't speak to you if right. you're, you know, woman, immigrant, whatever. But a white, and that's a not true. Western, you know, Bernie Sanders' right. strength was the fact that he is an old white Jewish guy from Brooklyn, but he can still speak up about immigrants and about Palestine and about right. the environment and about civil right. rights. He actually ha- – that's because he has risen above the levels of, you know, whatever levels of, um, you know, gender or demographic privilege that he had, Right. Right. Um, but I think that in terms of just pure political messaging, that's something that appealed to a lot of elite liberals, and they're willing to take it and run with it, as we did see during the campaign. I think Fabro did understand that. He's a savvy political actor. Right. So it's basically like I like the idea that, you know, Hillary Clinton, because she's a Midwestern white woman, is woke and in touch and down. But Sanders, because he's older and Jewish and um, a dude, like, she has the the gender leg up. Sure, she does. She has that. He doesn't have that. The Jewish thing a little bit, but I'll be the first as a Jew to admit, you know, being Jewish is not quite being – it's not the biggest disability these days. Am I right? But um, like you said uh, – I, I mean, today yeah. I don't think so, but maybe when Sanders was sure. growing up, there were, I think there was considerably more anti-Semitism Oh, no, than, there's, than there's now, no so. doubt that there is, and that shaped him, and I think that shaped a lot of his view and his Jewish identity, and we can talk about that because I'm still constantly explaining to people how you can be a Jew, Jewish and not religious, but that's for another episode. But, yeah, exactly what you were saying. I mean, the, the irony about people talking about intersectionality and how Hillary is the intersectional candidate, when we hear John Favreau – saying that she's the one to talk about it because she's a woman, which is the antithesis of intersectionality, because he's just talking about gender in a vacuum, not talking about class, ethnicity, anything like that. The irony about that, and you see Sanders, he's the only, he's like the bravest person on Palestine out of any p- politician who's at all, like... Right. Not, not only did he call Hillary on that issue, he called her out on it in a debate in New York. I know. Right before the New York primary. I was there. Was incredibly unexpected, I think, to everyone. I was there in the audience. Like, I was, thanks to my friend Kathleen, um, for founder of Babes for Bernie, I was there, and um, when he started talking about, about Netanyahu and saying, you know, Netanyahu's not an angel, which is, like, enough to get you called an anti-Semite or self-loathing Jew... I was like, shh, Bernie, don't say that. Don't say that. And I'm like way younger than this guy. And he's more principled and less jaded than I am. And he's a politician. And there was a guy sitting behind me. He's like, I don't, during the break, he was like, I don't know. I think maybe Bernie's self-loathing. I don't know. And I wrote to this listener of my mind. I was like, oh my God, guys, I don't think the world's ready for this. I don't think the world's ready for this. And then at the end of the debate, I was so happy because that same guy, he's like, you know what? I don't know. I'm on the fence again. I like Bernie. I like Bernie. So it's pretty inspiring. But um, Zed, we would love to have you back. We have to um, have to, to sign off now because we have to have a special reminder to our guests about how they can support the show. But definitely come back and come into New York, and we'll have a live thing with you, and you can sign people's, um, like, I don't know, you can sign, oh, people can bring in different WikiLeak documents, and you can sign them, <laughs> especially yes. the ones that you found. Exactly. And, and where are you? Oh, and, and, and so, Bertolt has a question yeah, for you. Hi, Zed. Our, uh, this is Bertolt, general manager of WBAI. I'd like to ask you, um, where do you think that in the middle of the dial where you can reach out all New Yorkers in New York City metropolitan area, you would be able to have a conversation like that? So because of that, I would put, I'm going to put you on the spot because uh, I'm the money guy, so I have to push this. Right? I'm like the money guy. Yeah, the, the, I can't I, be the money guy because I'm, I'm Jewish. I, I, so I'm the we'll Trump work. guy, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, so I'd like to, you to make the case for us that um, – People like Katie Harper, the the show like this, you know, you you know, that's what we are trying to do. We're trying to bring this up uh, to the new generation, and we are, we're trying to reach out to the old, older generation to make them listen to such 
open discussions, you know, and I'd like you to make the case for us. I'm putting you on the spot to make the case for us to tell people to go and call 516-620-3602 to become a BAI buddy to the Katie Harper and show to say that you support this idea of free exchange of ideas. You know, I mean, I have been listening to you and Katie. I'm a little a, little, a lot older than the two of you, and I disagree in a few things because I think I'm becoming a little more pragmatic. Oh, God. Um, when you say, like, you know, Obama Go said... Go work for NPR. Obama said that, um, make me do this. Yeah, yeah. Right? He says, like, you guys just sat down and, and, and let the Republican do whatever they want, and you didn't force me to do this, right? That's a good question. How and can we so, yeah, so, and uh, Sanders' ex-campaign manager, I saw him on, 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 on the air, said... Um, that um, so-called Hillary's ad adopted the so-called more, more progressive, quote-unquote, uh, platform any Democrats has ever adopted, you know? So even though, yeah, I, even, yeah. even though I'm so anti-Hillary in the fact that I think she's a warmonger, she killed Gaddafi, I think, and she, you know, she destroyed Syria, and then she did all of that stuff. And, and by the way, the, the ambassador in Libya was also in Haiti, and we call him Bouik Chargé. Uh. And he was the guy, the arrogant, ugly American who came in and says, this is what we are telling you to do. And uh, I'm telling you, um, the fact that he was safe in Haiti was, uh, an, well, let me... Ashanda, leave, Ashanda. Yeah, let me just leave it at that. This guy had it coming somehow. And so he really was a guy who interfered in the local politics and so no one actually really made this connection. So I want you, or you can't actually tell me, no, I don't want to do that. I want you to make the case to tell people to call 516-620-3602 to support Katie Harpin, who has an open-minded view, who's pushing these different ideas where people can argue, discuss, and, 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 and bring these ideas to the fore. What say ye? What say you, sir? Well, I mean, I, I totally agree. Look, how many shows on the radio can you listen to where it's just the normal sort of, hey, look at the crazy thing Trump said today. Hey, look at, I don't know, Clinton has pneumonia or a cold or something. You know, how many shows are there like that on the radio? There's infinite number of shows. There's, there's no variety. There's no, nothing's being moved forward by a lot of this. But when you listen to Katie Halper, I think what she's really trying to do is drill down in these discussions. And bring about points of view that you're not going to see everywhere, and points of view that I think that really move the move the entire country forward, and definitely move the conversation forward. Um, so I mean, I, I think it's pretty obvious why people should support Katie. Um, it's definitely one of the best radio shows I ever get to ever get to be on, and and I, I think that if we if we want more of it, we got to vote with our dollars. So it's it, it, to me, it's pretty obvious. It's it's no uh, no question about it. Wow, I'm, well, thank, I'm thank blushing. You very much. Thank you. Yeah. So please call five one six six two zero three six zero two. Um, and say you want to be a BI buddy for the Katie Harper show. Katie can, Harper, yeah. No uh, one you can yeah. give $10 a month to sustain this show. And so that. And now for some more shameless pitching for money to support the Katie Harper show and WBAI. Thanks for your patience. We're going to decide who's the president, basically, at the next show, right, Reggie? Uh, yeah. The Katie Alper show fun. is a game changer of a show. Yeah, we change hearts and minds. You think I'm joking? We had Ray Sani, a comedian, come on, talk about Bill Cosby. It was after that that he got charged 
We had Nando Villa come on and talk about Bernie Sanders. He had kind of blown up his spot when he asked him about reparations. They gave an unfortunate headline and made it sound like Bernie Sanders was worse than Hillary. What happens? Nando comes on. We talk about it. We we kind of um, what's it called? We brain what's it called? Um, brain not brain fest brain a brain trust no a, 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 a um uh, brainstorm brainstorm yeah thank brainstorm. you we have a, a rain of ideas as uh, they say uh or whatever in spanish anyway we brainstormed and we figured out that um killer mike and bernie had to make cop buddy movies and that would maybe <clears throat> given him the the, the um the, the victory that he was looking for, that we so wanted. Well, according to WikiLeaks, he had the victory. Yeah, I know. We'll get to that soon. <laughs> Good. I like that segue. But here's the thing. Ready? We change hearts and minds. Oh, so after Nando comes on the show, what happens? Ta-Nehisi Coates, who had come on the show Coates. before right. and was very critical of Bernie Sanders because of Nando's had to go there with the reparations. Ta-Nehisi yeah. Coates, as is his want, had to write, you know, 13 think pieces because um, that is his lane. And, you mm-hmm. know, he's very good. He's He really did. Ta-Nehisi Coates totally... I think single-handedly reintroduced the theme of reparations into our national discourse. Yep. Um, so very good job. And then he wound up saying he was going to vote for Bernie Sanders. Now, he said on Democracy Now! when he made the revelation that it was because of his son who had convinced him. I think he didn't want to say it's because Nando Villa and the Katie Alper show because that's just – it's – you know, I, I get it. You have a right. son. You, lo- you right. know your son better than right. you know me. But we all right. know what you're saying, ta right. And right. come back on the show, by the way. We love right. you. Right. Um, and, yeah, there was one other thing that we – one other way we changed history. But, honestly, I think repara- – oh, then the UN, like, passed – one second said, just got to do some – got to do this because we live in the capitalist world system still, sadly. You guys, you want to hear great shows like this, call 516-620-3602. Again, that's 516-620-3602. And also do uh, – uh, become a WBAI buddy, and we're going to give you great treats. You're going to become a member of WBAI. And we're going to give you a Katie Halper Show calendar. Zed, I didn't tell you about this. Nothing ex- uh, exploitative or objectifying, but we're going to ask people to take their photos, and then I'll make a little thing with their quote from one of my, the episodes that they've been on. So you get all of that if you if you donate now and become a WBAI buddy. And also, $150. They can also break that up into incremental payments. Ooh. Three payments of $50. Seven, uh, what is it? Six payments of $25. Um, you can do that, and, but you can still call 516-620-3602 or go to give to wbaiorg yes. For those people that are listening online, and there's plenty of people listening online right. you know, to Podcast. the Katie Halper mm-hmm. Show, plenty of own podcasts as well, they can do so also by going to give to wbaiorg on the web. Give the number to wbaiorg on the web to support the Katie Halper Show, to support WBAI Radio, to support... A perspective of the world that is uniquely ours mm, here. So true. WBAI. So true. Mm-hmm. It is uniquely ours. Then make sure you come out to the Brooklyn Commons on October 19th at 7 p.m. where we'll be recording our first ever Katie Halper Show live taping that'll be on WBAI at the same time. Our special guest will be Greg Grandin, the historian and author of several award-winning books, including Kissinger's Shadow. That will be at 7 p.m. at the Brooklyn Commons at 388 Atlantic between Hoyt and Bond, Wednesday, October 19th. Then stick around for a debate watch party 